So uh, let's begin by traveling together. Uh, some years back, Chris and I found ourselves in the city of Rome, and just for a few days, but one of the things we did when we were in Rome was we went to the Vatican to see the Pope. No, we went to the... We went to the Vatican Museums to be able to see some of the world's greatest collection of art, like uh, Raphael's uh, painting, The School of Athens. And if the image in your mind right now is just kind of like, oh my goodness, it must have been such a wonderful opportunity just to casually stroll through the museums and see some of the world's great art. No, it wasn't wonderful at all. Because a few other people had the same idea of doing the same thing that day. So we were in a sculpture gallery, and I actually took a picture of what we were experiencing, and it was that, almost body to body. And so there was literally a, a tapestry aisle where you could go down and observe these tapestries, and I took a picture of this tapestry aisle as well. It didn't feel like exploring an art gallery. It felt like it was the end of the ninth inning of a Major League Baseball game, and everybody was funneling through the parking lot on the way, uh, uh, through the concourse on the way to the parking lot. In fact, the tour ended with the glorious Michelangelo Sistine Chapel, and I'm looking up, and I'm just going, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here, because it was just so closely packed. So there's one picture of me standing in front of the Vatican. You know what I'm doing there? I'm breathing. I'm breathing. But some of you are looking at that picture of that compression of people in that tapestry hallway, and you go, Jeff, that's nothing, because you have experienced a public transportation event in another country where it was just wall-to-wall, body-to-body people. Close, intimate contact with total strangers. Get this image in your mind as we read this description about a story that comes to us about an event in the life and ministry of Jesus. We read these words. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost what? Almost, as Jesus is walking, the crowds are almost crushing him. So you think, what's going on there? What's going on there? What's going on there is that Jesus has just crossed the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples, and some other boats recognize him. They get ahead. I don't believe it's some barren stretch of the Sea of Galilee, but probably landing at a population center. There were cities with docks that surrounded the Sea of Galilee, and when Jesus lands, a crowd is already there, and the crowd is growing. But along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, there's a place where you can breathe. There's some elbow room. A desperate man runs up. It happens, we know the guy's name. His name is Jairus. And we know his occupation or his volunteer position. He was a synagogue ruler, which means he was responsible for organizing worship services in the local synagogue. He He crashes at Jesus' feet, and he just goes, please, 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 please. My 12-year-old daughter, my only daughter, she's 12, she is dying. Can you please come to my house and heal her? And Jairus gets up. And they start walking to Jairus' house. Now, what happens here is they leave the shore and they begin to funnel into a very narrow street. So you've got this crowd and they funnel in. When I say street, don't think Cascade Road here. Think something that we would call an alley with buildings on either side. And that's that point 
where it says that as Jesus went along, he was like getting crushed by people. It's just body-to-body press as they move through this alley, and it's there that Jesus suddenly stops, and the crowd stops with him, and he looks around and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? It's like, uh, like everybody? What do you mean, who touched me? And Jesus said, no, 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 somebody touched me. I know somebody touched me. Now, someone is about to have an encounter with Jesus, and it was not an encounter that they wanted. Someone is about to have an encounter with Jesus. Now, in the Gospels, that is the four biographies in our Bible about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are in the neighborhood of 40 separate kind of one-on-one conversations with Jesus, not just when he's teaching to the crowd like the Sermon on the Mount or dealing with all 12 disciples at one time, but these these kind of one-on-one interactions. There are about 40 of these encounters with Jesus, and we get to look at eight of them in this eight-part series. So the first one we're going to look at today, and these are very important. Looking at these encounters with Jesus are important because if you hang out in church for a while, or if you hang out with church people for a while, you will hear the expression, trust Jesus. You need to trust Jesus. It's kind of like, dude, I don't trust people I don't know. I mean, from a sociological standpoint, I don't trust people I don't know. Well, there is a remedy to that. Get to know him. Get to know him. And one of the ways you get to know a person is by watching that person interact with other people. You can get to know something about a human being by watching, observing that human being interact with other human beings. And so I just want you to watch him today. I want you to see him today. And in this encounter, it's my hope that you move toward trusting him more because you get to see him as he interacts. My hope in this exploration of part one today is that your trust in Jesus, Christianity is fundamentally a connection to a person, the person of Christ. And I hope in this interaction you get to know him more and you get to trust him more. So the story today, it takes place on this crowded street. It unfolds in three scenes. And scene one, we're just calling the condition the condition. There is a woman who has a condition. This, if you're into literature or into movies, this is the backstory. This is the what has transpired before this moment on this crowded street, her condition. So in, uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to find uh, Luke chapter 8. And in uh, Luke chapter 8, down around verse 43, we're introduced to this woman. And it says this, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for how long? We're given a time indicator for how long? For 12 years, but no one could heal her. Now, subject to bleeding, if I could be candid here, I believe this was a kind of a perpetual, nonstop, feminine bleeding. Uh, not like a monthly cycle thing, but uh, a perpetual uterine bleeding. 12 years. And when he says 12 years, we're given that time indicator, and the reader's supposed to go, man, that's a long time. That's a long time to struggle with something. We don't know how old she was. But if she came up with this condition when she's like 19, she's 31 now. It seems like she has had this situation forever. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're looking at Luke's 
portrayal of this event. But Mark also talked about this event, and he added some additional details. So if you were to look over in Mark's gospel, this is what you would find the way Mark shared some additional details with us. Here, this is what I want you to do. Can I just ask you to read that slowly and quietly? Give it a shot. Okay, read it one more time, just real slowly, just absorb it. Do you get a sense of desperation there? I think we're supposed to feel something, not just to know something, but to feel something for her. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all that she had, but instead of getting better, grew worse. This was not only affecting her physically, it also affected her how? Financially, she's broke. Why doesn't she see a doctor? She did. She's seen a bunch of doctors. Well, you ought to try this concoction of herbs. And then she's sick for three days. And instead of better, she got worse. She had suffered much, spent everything, gotten worse. 12 years. Suffered much, spent everything, gotten worse. 12 years. Some of you get this because you deal with a chronic situation. Chronic back pain, physical therapy, physical therapy, physical therapy, finally surgery, followed by physical therapy, physical therapy, another surgery. Some of you read this woman's condition, 12 years of a desperate physical situation, and you just go, I get that. We're just, we just aware of the fact that some of you have a long-term illness, a disease. And you get a prescription and you get medication. But the medication only deals with the symptoms to try to curb the effects of the disease. But you're aware that this disease will probably affect your life in one way or another pretty much every day until you're with Jesus. Twelve years. Suffered much, spent everything, gotten worse. 12 years. Some of you just go, I get that. It's not always physical. Sometimes it's uh, emotional. <laughs> Those of you that struggle with chronic depression, you hit these dips where you just get slammed by depression that makes it difficult to get up, to get out, to, to function. Sometimes you feel almost incapacitated. And that wave of depression will leave and subside for a while, and then it returns 12 years, some of you go, I get this, I get this. And sometimes it's a very complicated and disruptive family situation that just won't go away. Year after year after year, there's a critical relationship and it's just a mess. Now, whether you personally deal with a chronic situation, as we read the description and we're told 12 years, we're supposed to feel something for what this woman's experiencing. And she's there on the shore. 
and she sees the boat coming and the boat lands and all of a sudden there's this huge crowd of people and she's like no way no way am I approaching Jesus and exposing my condition in front of all these people Jairus comes he crashes at Jesus feet please come heal my daughter my only daughter my 12 year old daughter who was dying and they head down and they move from this beach area to this compressed street and she comes up with an idea because see rumors are flying that Jesus has healing power. I mean, I mean, one of the guys that Jesus is with, Peter, there was a rumor that Peter's mother-in-law had this terrible fever, was wasting away with this fever, and that Jesus had healed her of this fever. And so this thought occurs to this woman, what if, what if, what if, what if he doesn't need to lay hands on me for me to be healed? What if I can lay hands on him and be healed? And no one will know. What if I can just sneak in behind, reach out, just tag the, I think I'll be healed just by touching the edge of his robe, one of the tassels of his robe. And so as this crowd funnels off the beach and into this narrow alley, she gets into position. And I don't know how long it took her to get right behind it, but I just kind of imagine here that a guy leans a little bit to the left and she finds an opening to the right and she comes up and she reaches out and she just tags the edge of his garment. And like immediately, like instantly, she feels something. She feels a surge of energy. She feels a surge of wholeness that she had not experienced in over a decade in that moment. Suddenly, she felt whole. She felt healed. And she knew that this condition was gone. The way that it's described for us in Luke is this way in verse 44. It says, she came up behind him. She touches the edge of his cloak and immediately the bleeding stopped. And immediately Jesus stopped and spins around and begins to look into people's faces and goes, who touched me? Who touched me? Who? Did you touch me? Did you touch me? I think this is the very scene that she wanted to avoid. Scene two of our story is the encounter. The encounter. Jesus, three questions, or three, three words. Who touched me? Who touched me? And I think, I think he just stops there and stands there and just kind of looks around. Did you touch me? That wasn't me. Who touched my clothes? I, I didn't do it. Who touched me? And she's kind of like, hmm. And Jesus isn't going away, and he's not giving up. I just want to know who touched me. And like Peter's standing there, he's a disciple, and Peter's like going like, I mean, look at the situation. Like everybody's touching you. What do you mean? I mean, check out Peter's question. He goes, uh, when, they, when they denied it, when they all denied it, when they all denied it, kind of like, was it you? Hey, did you touch me? Right? Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. It's like, what do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Jesus responds in the next verse. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. No, no, no. I know somebody touched me. And someone is getting very, very anxious and fearful in that crowd because the press of people that allowed her to get close enough to Jesus to touch him is also preventing a quick getaway. And Jesus isn't going anywhere. And he's standing there. And he's not giving up. I want to know who touched me. And she's scared. And finally she realizes, 
I got to fess up to this. And so, uh, verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, which I think was what she wanted to do, came trembling, and she's like shaking. She falls at Jesus' feet, and check this out. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, and she told how she had be instantly healed. But notice that first line, in the, in the what? In the presence of what? In the presence of all the people. I think that this is the very scene she wanted to avoid. Question, why did Jesus do that to her? <laughs> why does Jesus pull her story out of her? I think he wants to meet her. I think he wants to hear from her. And I think... He wants the people around to hear what just happened to her. She knows Jesus has healed her. Jesus knows he has healed her. The crowd doesn't know Jesus has healed her, and I think he wants them to hear it from her. I mean, imagine an alternative scenario. Two weeks later, Jesus says, you know, I have the power of God flowing through me. In fact, one time a woman came up and touched my garment, and she was healed. And you kind of stand there going, well, if you say so. He wants them to hear it from her. I've been sick for 12 years. I've gone through all my cash reserves. I'm broke. I'm worse and not better. And I thought, if I just come up, and he pulls the whole story out of her. Now listen, my friends, my friends, there is a, there is a principle here that I think is a powerful principle for us, and it is this. Sometimes stories of healing need to go public. Sometimes very private stories of healing need to go public to the glory of Christ and to the help of other people. Uh, Ada Bible Church, uh, in the family of Ada Bible Church, we have something called marriage mentors because it's common for a couple to run into really challenging times white water in their marriage are talking past each other and they just need kind of a, a guide to help walk with them and maybe hear each other and so we have marriage mentors who uh, are appointed and kind of like come alongside uh, a couple that's really going through a challenging time one of the marriage mentoring couples that we had it was very public for them to share with couples that they were mentoring that there had been infidelity in their marriage One of them had had an affair. And it took a long time to rebuild trust and to try to get healthy as a couple. And they became one of our marriage mentoring couples, which meant that when they were sitting down with a couple and someone said, you don't understand what she did. You don't know what he did. Someone could sit there and go, well, I'll tell you what I did. Very personal, very private, just kind of like, this is where we were. And I cannot guarantee to you that God will heal your marriage. I just need you to know that he healed ours. What happened in that moment is that something, is that private healing in their marriage, they exposed it. Sometimes, sometimes healing needs to go public. 
This is huge in this area of forgiveness. When, when someone locks their feet and locks their jaw and goes, I will never forgive her for what she did. I will never forgive him for what he did. Never. <laughs> and you wake up one day to discover that hatred has taken over the better corners of your heart. And bitterness and rage and anger is just taking over the best parts of you. And you go, I don't want to live this anymore. And then you begin to experience something that's called gospel change. That is, you go, why should I cancel her debt? Why should I cancel his debt? And you go, because on the cross, somebody canceled mine. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's this kind of thing, forgiveness in, forgiveness out. Now, forgiveness can be a process that doesn't happen in one day. It can happen over time. But as someone is in the process of forgiving, it is not uncommon for that person to feel a freedom and a wholeness and a healing that they have not known for years. I'm just saying there can be a power in one-on-one -on -one conversation where someone says, let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you, I vowed never to forgive this person. Let me tell you what I discovered about hatred taking over my heart. And let me tell you about the freedom that I'm tasting now. Why would you, do, why would you want to do that to the glory of Christ and to the help of someone traveling the same journey? Uh, baptism. Uh, Someone steps into a baptismal tank, often they have a little bit of a story that is read. And something is just very, very simple and very, very general. I believe that Jesus came for me, died for me, was raised to life for me, and that because of what he did for me, I'm washed clean from my sins. Boom, that's it. It's very general. Sometimes, baby, you get details. It is not totally uncommon for someone to stand in a baptismal tank, and when their story is read, it goes, I was trapped in an addiction, and I couldn't get out. It was destroying my family and all of my critical relationships. I've come to know the saving power of Jesus. I believe that the water of baptism is reflective of the fact that, he's cling, that he has cleaned me from my sins and is continuing to clean me. I need the constant help of other people to stay away from this dark pattern that I was in. And through their help and God's mercy, I'm experiencing a new life that I didn't know before. Because splash. To the glory of God. Who needs to hear that? Anybody else in the room who has an addictive pattern that is hidden, that is underground, and just goes, well, apparently here it's, it's legal <laughs> to talk about the darkness inside and to seek the help of others and the grace of God in moving forward. Sometimes our stories of healing need to go public, and that's what Jesus is calling out in this woman. The attention she seeks to avoid. Jesus draws her story out from her, and she tells the story of her condition and of her instant healing for the sake of those who are around. And then Jesus whispers words to her. It's his final words to her. It says, then he said to her, uh, verse 48, then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. His daughter, <laughs> that's tender. It's like he's treating her like family. I love that. Daughter, daughter. This is your faith has healed you, and then go in peace. Your faith is healed. When we talk about faith, we're basically talking about trust. 
you trust it. I, I, I think that what she trusted was that God power was at work in Jesus. When she was on the shore and then funnels into this narrow street and goes, if I just reach up and just tag his coat, she trusts that God power is at work in him. That's what I think he means by your faith has healed you. Your, your, your trust that God power is at work in me has healed you. And then he says, go in peace. Go as someone who is now restored. It's a beautiful story. What a beautiful ending to this story. What a beautiful landing to this story. Question, any, uh, any unresolved conflict in this situation? Like maybe the situation that sent this whole crowd of people funneling the street to begin with? Like maybe, like maybe the dad? <laughs> what dad? The dad of the 12-year-old? Scene three. Scene three is the dad. Jairus is standing there as Jesus listens to this woman tell her life story. Now, if I'm Jairus and my 12-year-old daughter is wasting away and I think she has hours, maybe minutes to live and it's an emergency and I've got Jesus' help and we're moving and if he stops to listen to some woman, I don't know what would go through your mind. I would think, listen, I know what an emergency is and I'm just telling you, if this condition has lasted 12 years, I think this conversation can wait till tomorrow. Can we please get to my house? I don't know how long they were stalled there in this narrow street, but if it was a 15-minute conversation... This is the longest 15 minutes in Jairus' life. And finally, 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 Jesus wraps up this conversation with this woman with the story that he has pulled out of her. And another person has come in from the other end of the crowd and is working its way toward where Jesus and Jairus are standing. And Jairus looks over and he sees a friend from his home. And the guy's just shaking his head and he's going... She's gone. She, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's gone. Jesus overhears this. There's probably very close quarters. Jesus looks into Jairus' eyes, and this is what he tells him. First of all, he says, don't be afraid. You are terrified that you're going to lose your daughter. Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Just believe what? Just believe that she will be healed, and she will be healed. I don't, I, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it's deeper, and I think it's broader than that. And there's something that a first-century practicing Jew would have picked up on in this story that we might not get looking at it from our culture and our century. Remember Jairus he's described as a synagogue ruler. He's or organizing the church services in the, the Jewish synagogue, the place of worship, which meant he had heard the scriptures read over and over and over and over and organized the scripture reading. There was a scripture from the Old Testament that every practicing Jew would have been familiar with. Because in the brokenness of our world, there was a promise that there was coming a God visit. And the God visit 
to his people was described as restoring what was broken. And so you got to drift back from the time of Jesus, like 700 years. It's when the prophet Isaiah talks about this God visit. Now, look at how Isaiah describes this God visit to his people. He says, uh, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then the lame, people paralyzed, will leap like a deer and the mute, those unable to talk, will shout for joy. This is a description of the God visit. It was making right all that is wrong. It is restoring everything that is broken. And I believe that as Jesus looks into Jairus' eyes, and as he says, believe, I think what Jesus is saying here is, can you summon the trust? Can you trust that the God visit is right here, right now, in me? I think in that culture, with what they knew, Jesus is saying, can you trust that I am the person who has come to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah 700 years ago to restore that which is broken? Jairus, don't be terrified of losing your daughter. Trust, trust in me as the person who has come to fulfill the prophecies that the kingdom of God is right here, right now, in me and she will be healed. And they were not told Jairus' response. We just told that they moved toward Jairus' house. They get there. You, you can hear the people before you see them. There's wailing and there's crying. I mean, this family just lost their 12-year-old. There's mourning. And Jesus walks up to the group and he says the strangest thing. He says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And people like laugh at him. So what Jesus immediately does is reduces the size of the crowd. He does not want a crowd. He sets up a, a semi-private situation. Uh, of his 12 disciples, he goes, okay, uh, Peter, uh, James, and John, you guys come in the house with me. The other nine stay out here, and the only other people are the mom and dad. So you get Jesus, mom and dad, Peter, James, and John, and the girl's body. And they walk in, and there's a 12-year-old daughter, She's gone, she's on the bed, and Jesus, Jesus touches her, and then he talks to her. But he took her by the hand, and he said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told, her, told them to give her something to eat, which I just love for some reason. You know, being dead really takes your energy. Hey, you probably got to get her something to eat, you know. <laughs> get her something to eat. And you go, well, that's Bible land, just dead people jumping up all over the place. You have three of these in the ministry of Jesus. One is a dear friend by the name of Lazarus. One is a widow's son from the village of Nain, and this is number three. Three years of ministry, three resuscitations. One a year, average. I just want to suggest to you that a whole lot more people were dying around Jesus than that. It, I think what Jesus is doing here is just stepping into space and time and saying, I want to give you a preview of what is to come at the end of time when all tears are wiped from our eyes, where there is no, nor, no more death and no more sickness and no more pain. I just want to give you a snapshot of what is to come. And one of those exhibits is this suffering woman in the road. And one of those exhibits is the raising of Jairus daughter and then he looks at the mom and dad and he says I need something from you 
don't look at, if you have a Bible open, do not look ahead. Do not look ahead. What is he going to ask? No, what is he going to order? He gives them an order. And you go, oh, I know, I know, I know. Because often, stories of healing need to go, need to go public. Jesus is going to say, I'm only asking one thing. I just need you to tell everybody what I've done for you. Okay, let's uh, check it out. It's in verse 56. Her parents were astonished, and he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. He ordered them. He says, listen, I got, I got some uh, instructions for you. Don't post this. Don't post this. Let's just keep this between us. Don't tell anyone what I just did. I don't get it. I mean, here's this woman with this bleeding hemorrhage issue, and he's like, okay, let's talk about this. And now Jairus, they get their daughter back. He says, yeah, let's not talk about this. I don't get it. Why does, he, why does he want to pull this story out in front of all the people on the street? And then Jairus' daughter, he says, yeah, let's, let's talk about this. Don't talk about this. I don't get it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why he did this. <clears throat> I don't know. He had his reasons, but he didn't explain his reasons. Now, there's something here that is simultaneously troubling and incredibly refreshing. What's troubling is that if you're trying to narrow Jesus down to a formula, he's kind of hard to pin down in some areas. He seems to treat individuals individually. No cookie cutter. No one size fits all. Woman in the street, this is what I want you to do. Jairus and his wife get their 12-year-old back, and this is what I want you to do, and it's different than what I asked her to do. So if we're looking for total predictability, if we're looking for three dependable steps with guaranteed outcomes, Jesus shakes it up quite a bit by treating individuals individually. So I find, I personally, I find that incredibly refreshing, though it can be confusing. Back to the Sea of Galilee, which started our conversation you know what happened on the other side of the lake right before Jesus crosses and then this synagogue ruler Jairus comes and crashes down? On the other side of the lake, there had been a man plagued with demons. Jesus, crazy dude, casts the demons out of this guy and the guy tries to climb in the boat with Jesus and Jesus says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're staying right here. Oh no, I gotta leave. People know me here. That's why I need you to stay here. Because people know you now, sane, clothed, and articulate, you know. Now, to Peter and James and Andrew and John, he said, leave your homes, leave your nets, leave your fishing boats, and follow me. This guy, he says, I need you to stay right where you are because he treats individuals individually. I need you to go. I need you to stay. Is that refreshing to you? That Jesus did not always take a cookie-cutter approach in the movement of our lives. Jesus might whisper very powerfully to someone in our congregation, you need to sell the house. You need to sell the house. You need to simplify your life. Oh, so that's what God wants me to do. He wants me to sell my house and simplify my life. Not necessarily. He might whisper to somebody else, and you stay exactly where you are. I need you in this neighborhood. Don't even think about leaving this neighborhood. I need you there. I need you there. It's like he does custom work. Does this make you want to trust him more? That he does custom work? 
to some person, a high person of integrity in their company. They, they become to be one of the most trusted people, one of the most honest people. They don't gossip. They don't backbite. When they have something that's a conflict, they try to have a private conversation with that person and not talk about them publicly and run them down publicly, publicly and denigrate them publicly. And I think Jesus might whisper to them, you need to talk more about your faith because people don't know. There are individuals you work with who see your integrity and they don't know that I'm connected to your integrity. They don't know that I'm connected to the way you talk and treat people. You need to speak more to some people in your company about your faith. To someone else, simultaneously, Jesus might be whispering, and you need to keep your mouth shut. I need you to speak through your work. I need you to become that person of integrity. I need you to become that person of honesty. I need you to become that person of faithfulness. And I want you to be prepared to answer questions when asked. But right now... Just keep quiet and let your character speak, but be ready to answer questions. What if God does custom work? Now, just the fact that for the woman in the street, Jesus says, let's talk about this. And this dear couple to get the 12-year-old back, Jesus says, don't talk about this. There's something about this custom work, not cookie cutter, not one size fits all, that makes me want to trust Jesus more, which is what these encounters should do. Someone goes, trust Jesus, trust Jesus. Listen, Jeff, I don't trust people I don't know. We'll get to know him. And one of the ways we get to know him is by watching him. Watching him interact, watching him encounter a suffering woman with a 12-year condition, watching him encounter a desperate dad who now will be hugging his 12-year-old and not planning a funeral that day. There's something about these encounters that I hope for you will nudge you to trust him more because fundamentally Christianity is about a person, the person of Christ. And growing in a connection, a walk with that person where we grow in our ability to say, I trust you. I trust you with my hopes, and I trust you with my dreams. I trust you with my joy, and I trust you with my heartache. Trust you with my heart. I trust you with my life. Encounters with Jesus is about getting to know him and growing to trust him. Let me ask you to stand here at our campuses. I get to pray for us as we move out into our weeks. Thank you. Thank you for being here uh, today. Gracious God, we give thanks that we have been in each other's company to explore this beautiful story of healing. Gracious God, as we move into our week, Give us, grant us, bless us with the ability to trust you more. And we do ask this in the name of Jesus, who came for us. Amen. We'll see you next week.